Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Well, good morning, OVBC family and friends, and thank you for joining us today as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke as we look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So grab your Bibles as we look at the devilish schemes and ancient strategies of that adversary of God. Now, last week we opened the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel to find Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And this comes right after his baptism where the Father and the Holy Spirit had confirmed the identity identity of Jesus as well as announced their favor on his ministry. In reading the very first sentence, we learn that God is sovereign over both testings and temptation and that both serve the purpose of, of God. Testings and temptations are two sides of the same coin of circumstance. God tests us uh, in order to strengthen our character and to draw us near himself, while Satan will use that same circumstance to tempt us to destroy our character and draw us away from God. Now, knowing this helps us determine what God's plans are for us and how we're to trust and rest in God's providence and to resist, fight, or flee from the devil's evil designs. Now, as we begin to read the rest of the narrative in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 on the temptation of Christ, Luke introduces the devil to his reading reading audience as Jesus faces an ancient but predictable foe. This morning, we are going to consider and contemplate the schemes and strategies of the adversary of God and his people. So look at that with me, Luke chapter 4. We're again read the first two verses. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity and the technology that makes it possible. I pray, Lord, that we would just ourselves continue as we fast uh, from this meeting together regularly. Lord, that you just bind our hearts at least uh, by the distance together. Lord, as we open up your word, that you'd meet with us and that you'd open up our hearts, that we may respond to the Holy Spirit's work. Understanding this passage, in your name we pray. Amen. Now, Luke here is introducing God's ancient adversary, the devil, as the one who's going to tempt Jesus. And according to the new commentary on Luke, the term devil is the Greek term used to translate their word in Hebrew, Satan. Luke assumes the existence of the supernatural adversary of God, and he sees no need to convince his readers of the devil's existence, and I'm going to do the same today. As we learned last week, the word devil means malicious and slanderous. 52 times he is designated as Satan, which means adversary. This creature is also known by many other names and descriptions that point to his evil character, such as Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Dung, the evil one, the ruler of demons, the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning, a ruler of this world, the god of this age, the angel of light, Belial, which means vileness, the ruler of the authority of the air, the angel of the abyss, and the old serpent. Scripture also depicts his purposes in opposing God and God's children by referring to him as the enemy of humanity, the deceiver of the world, the accuser of God's people, and the roaring lion seeking to devour. 
Many times his true name is thought to be Lucifer, though in reality that is just a Latin translation for the phrase that's found in Isaiah 14, 12, where he is called the day star, son of the morning, which is what the Romans would call the planet Venus. It was the day star, the son of the morning. Scripture does not give us all that we would like to know about his origins, though it does point out that he is a powerful foe that still submits to Yahweh's authority. He is first introduced into the story of the Bible as the snake, and later, near the end of the story, he is depicted as the dragon. This is the dragon that the prince must slay. An old and favorite maxim about the existence of the devil is that the devil's best trick is to persuade you that he does not exist. And this seems to have worked as one study shows that only only four out of ten Christians, that's only 40% of Christians strongly agree that Satan is not a living being, but is just a symbol of evil. 40% of Christians. However, as Luke and the other gospel writers point out, the devil is real. He's hard at work in tempting God's children. He actively seeks to destroy God's children by any means, blinding the minds of the lost to the glory of the gospel and vigorously contends against God's purposes and plans. The Bible also tells us that he is a defeated foe whose end is the lake of fire. But until then, we must follow the example of Christ in resisting the devil and recognizing that he does exist. Luke writes that Jesus has been fasting now for 40 days. He's hungry and most likely weak. He's a long way from home and he's being tempted. Again, according to the New American Commentary on Luke, that present participle, being tempted, indicates that Jesus was tempted throughout the 40 days and that the three temptations we're about to read in a moment were the culmination of this time of temptation. Luke writes that Jesus was tempted by the devil three times with three different promises that involve bread, kingdom, and the temple at Jerusalem. So let's take our Bible and let's look at each of them in turn. So as we look in Luke chapter 4, we see that the first temptation is found in verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now the first temptation is actually a no-brainer as it would surprise no one that Jesus is hungry after 40 days of fasting. As a side note, this does give a certainty of his humanity. He hungered. He needed food for substance. One study uh, on fasting notes that generally it appears as though humans can survive without uh, any food for 30 to 40 days as long as they are properly hydrated. Severe symptoms of starvation begin around that 35 to 40 days, and that death can actually occur at around 45 to 61 days. So Jesus here showing his humanity is hungry. He has fasted for 40 days. We are not told why Jesus is fasting for these 40 days, but scripture depicts that fasting and prayer was one of the grace habits that Jesus practiced uh, often during his public ministry. 40 days does have a biblical significance as found in the life of Moses and Israel's wandering in the desert and Elijah after his battle with the prophets of Baal. So whether it was to identify with those events, we are not told, though it does lead us to understand how strong this temptation would be to a person. The second temptation is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. Read that with me. 
And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give you all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. This temptation seems to involve a vision in which the devil tempts him with power. One might ask how realistic is this temptation if God is sovereign over all things? In other words, how can the devil offer something he could not deliver? And of course, that's always the problem. Satan cannot deliver on his promises. However, what is interesting here is that Jesus does not challenge the devil's claim, nor does he acknowledge it. But as we've learned earlier, the devil is described in John chapter 12, verse 31, as the ruler of this world. This vision included all of the kingdoms of the inhabitable world at that time, and we see that he is the God of this age. He is the ruler of this world, an angel of light. The third temptation is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 9, where we read, And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now this third temple, or excuse me, this third temptation ends at the temple in Jerusalem. This temptation involves a, a challenge, a dare, if you will, to prove that he truly is the Son of God, to gain the recognition that he so deserves. Jump and let us see if Yahweh will send his angels to rescue you. Leave no doubt of who you truly are. Of course, we know that Jesus does not take any of the bait of any of these lures that are sent his way. He knows his identity. He recognizes the false promises for what they are. And he resists the devil's taunts, promises, and challenges. Next week, we will consider each of Jesus' response to Satan's offer and the tools he used to resist the devil's evil schemes. But what I want us to examine and to consider this morning is the strategy and the substance of the temptations themselves. It's important to understand the method of operation of the devil's toolbox, what he tries to do with us. The devil, though, is a defeated foe, but he's still a formidable adversary who is persistent in his attempts to destroy our character and to draw us away from God. He and his demonic agents are t intelligent and creative in their attacks, but their method of operation, their MO, is the same as it was in the Garden of Eden, and it's important for us to know our enemy, to understand how he works. You see, the devil himself is an acute observer of human character and its foibles. He has had millennia to study us. He knows exactly what buttons to push to tempt us away from faith faithfully serving God. And what he attempts to do is to take our legitimate desires and to twist them into serving ourselves. And he recognizes our weaknesses and he exploits them with the false promises. The Apostle John warns us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He warns us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
He goes on to write, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. For brevity, I'm going to identify the desires here, the warnings, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life as appetite, ambition, and acknowledgement. Appetite, ambition, and acknowledgement. These three areas summarizes the majority or the categories of the temptations that you and I face. They will be in our appetites, our ambition, and our acknowledgement. The desires of the flesh are manifested by our appetites that crave to be satisfied. The desires of the eyes reflect our ambitious desires for power, while the pride of life is demonstrated by our need for acknowledgement and prestige of recognition. The devil has been leveraging these desires against God's children for millennia. And we need to be aware of it. When we go back to the garden, we read of the devil entering the the stage, tempting Eve by causing her to doubt Yahweh's word, his character, and his love for her. And those same tactics he used on our first parents, he is used on Jesus and by us by extension today. As you'll see here, I want to share with you this chart. And we're looking at the comparing the temptations of Eve and Jesus by Satan. You'll see on the one hand, you'll see the temptation, appetite, ambition, acknowledgement. Then you'll see Genesis 3 and Luke 4 and then 1 John 2.16, the categories that John warns us of. For the appetite, you see in Genesis 3 that he, that Satan uh, calls her, says, you may eat of any tree. And we see that she looks upon it and that it was good and she ate of it. For Jesus, he's hungry. So he says, change these stones in the bread, the lust of the flesh, the, uh, the lust of the eyes, the appetite to look upon something then to desire it and to want it. For ambition, he tells Eve that you will be like God once she eats. To Jesus says, you'll have all the world's kingdom, the pride of life. This is that ambition, that desire to have more than what you have. Then that third temptation category is acknowledgement. Genesis 3, he says, you will not die. You will be like God and you will not die. For Jesus, it's rescued by angels to prove his identity. Again, that's the lust of the flesh, the desire to have worldly acknowledgement. For others to see us as we wish them to see us. So appetite, ambition, and acknowledgement. There's a few other biblical examples of the strategy. It's found with King David as he is ruled by his appetite for Bathsheba. He's the king of Israel. He can have any woman that he wants. And he has many already, including wives and concubines. But one day he looks and he sees her bathing. And he desires her. He looks, sees that she is good to look on, and he takes her. And obviously he is ruled by his appetite. It was a a weakness in David's life. And it leads to sin and then eventually the death of Bathsheba's husband and then David and Bathsheba's first child together. Then we can look at Absalom, King David's son. He's ruled by his ambition to be king. And in in doing so, he murders his brothers and rebels against his father, only to find a terrible defeat later. And then we can read in the New Testament, the disciples, the disciples, excuse me, the disciples thirst for acknowledgement. 
And that's depicted in the argument of who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And, and the sons of thunders who, whose mother, John and James's mother, comes to him and says, let my son set on the throne on each side of you. There's that thirst for acknowledgement. All of the devils and temptations we, you and I must recognize, involves an offer. It involves a promise to satisfy your fleshly appetite, your selfish ambition, and our desire, our need for acknowledgement. And every one of his attempts is shrouded within a promise to give you what God has already promised you. In essence, the, the devil offers you a shortcut to the promises and the blessings of God, except that he is not able to fulfill those promises. They are false promises, rotten fruit that may taste good in the beginning, but eventually become bitter as the consequences of our sin begin to destroy our character, destroying our marriages and our families and our livelihood. And many of you could attest this morning to these false promises and the awful ramifications of sin in your own life as you tried to satisfy your appetite, your ambition and acknowledgement outside of the promises of God. Pastor John Piper writes that sin is what you do when you are not satisfied with God. Let me give you that once again because I, I think it's a great quote and it's a great understanding. Sin is what you do when you are not satisfied with God. And I could say his character, his word, and his promises. When you and I fall to the devil's promises, it is because we have come to doubt God's word. We have come to doubt God's character, that he is good. And we come to doubt God's love for us. God is not giving us what we believe we deserve, whether it's in our fleshly appetites, our selfish ambition, or our need for acknowledgement. Our desires then turn inward into selfishness. No longer are we willing to be patient and wait for God's blessings. No, we, we take it upon ourselves to satisfy our never-ending appetites, to fulfill our evil ambitions. And then we embrace worldly acknowledgement rather than that of God's. In summary, we have learned these last two weeks that testings and temptations serve the sovereign purposes of God, and that he has given us a heads up on the evil strategy of the devil's attempts to tempt us so you and I can recognize them for what they are. Satan is going to attack you in your appetites, in your ambition, and our need for acknowledgement. Next week, we're going to learn that God has not left us defenseless against the schemes and the strategies of the devil, but he has granted us to all things that pertain to to live lives of holiness and godliness. But it suffices to say just this morning, as we consider the temptations of Satan, or excuse me, the temptations of Satan against Christ, is that he's attacking the appetite, the ambition, and the acknowledgement. And he does so today for us. Now, until then, until Christ comes and renews us completely in glorification. As children of God, you and I must be aware of Satan's schemes and strategies. The Apostle Paul writes that we are not to be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So this morning you are now aware of how Satan will attack you. And we're to give no opportunity to the devil. 
Instead, the Apostle Peter writes that we are to be sober-minded. We are to be watchful, knowing that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What you and I need to do, if I could give you any tools this morning as we go in to look next week, is that you and I need to learn and practice the prayer of David, who cried out to Yahweh in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. As we lift up that prayer from from the Lord's Prayer, lead us not in temptation, we must also say, search me. Expose my heart. Show me where my fleshly appetites are ruling me or my selfish ambition or my need for acknowledgement, for recognition. Be aware of the ways in which you seek to satisfy your appetites, your ambition and acknowledgement outside of the promises of God. Recognize them as false promises, rotten fruit, and turn towards God. I call you this morning to pause for a moment. Consider these temptations, the word of God here. And would you pray and respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? John Piper once again displays a pastor's heart when he writes this. Some of you are really struggling with temptation and sin. Maybe you are even now considering abandoning all hope of defeating it. And you find yourself willing to embrace it. And I would echo that sentiment. I know it's very difficult. Satan is persistent and he is good at wearing down our resistance. I encourage you, do not despair. Do not give up. But stand firm, knowing that Christ will send the help that we need. Do not despair. The devil is a formidable foe. And his persistence does wear away at our resistance. Your suffering is real. Your desires are strong. And the promises of God become dimmer as we lose patience in waiting for satisfaction. That is how some of us are this morning. But do not give up or give in. Trust in this, that God is faithful. He is caring and he understands your struggles. Come to him with your prayers of deliverance. Stay strong, fight sin, and resist the devil's temptations, understanding his schemes and strategies to draw you away from God and to destroy your lives. I'd like to close with Ephesians 6.11, just to give us a precursor as we look to Norton next week. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's not be ruled by our appetites, by our ambition, and need for acknowledgement. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love for us. We thank you that you have made us aware through your scripture how Satan works and how he attacks us. Please make us alert to these. Let us, uh, uh, may your Holy Spirit expose those ways in which we are believing the false promises of the devil. And Father, Make us sufficient that we may stand and fight against these schemes and strategies. Lord, make us patient in waiting for your blessings. We thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen. May you have a good week. 
We'll see you next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday on Facebook as we just share a little uh, uh, pick-me-up during the week for you. And then we'll come back together next week and look at how Christ fights Satan and resists his strategies. Until then, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.